Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Today, we're continuing our exploration of London. The capital of England is home to some of the world's most famous museums and churches. Starting in this episode, we're going to take you to a few wonderful museums military landmarks, and inspiring churches we explored recently. And that's going to be the topic of our discussions for probably the next two to three podcasts. We're here to share the experiences from our recent trip and hope to provide you with ideas of places to visit next time you find yourself in London. And we're going to dive straight into our discussion with a visit to the Royal Air Force Museum in London. This museum is something that I put on our itinerary. For those of you who have listened to prior podcasts and have heard some of our family story, my dad as a teenager had served in the RAF as a teenager. And um, this was something that we didn't visit the last time we were in the UK. So it was an opportunity to get a little bit more understanding of what he was a part of that point in history. This was would have been during World War II. So in addition to just seeing one of the premier museums in London, it was also a chance to make some family connections for myself. And probably many more others that seek out those types of connections. We left Hammersmith Station early one morning, traveled by tube for about an hour from Hammersmith to Collindale, from where we had an 11-minute walk to reach the museum. And it was a nice walk. Located on the former Hendon Aerodrome site in London, this museum is dedicated to preserving and showcasing the history of the Royal Air Force and its impact on the world. And there's a few separate buildings, some of them I think are hangars, that comprise this museum. So let's take you inside and give you a flavor of what you're going to experience at the RAF Museum. So some of the exhibits at the main site houses vast aircraft from different eras and different countries. One of the most popular exhibits at the RAF Museum is the Bomber Hall, where you can see iconic planes such as the Avril Lancaster and the B-17 Flying Fortress. Another must-see exhibit is the Battle of Britain Hall, which tells the story of the famous air battle over British skies during World War II. Aside from the aircraft displays, the RAF Museum also has an interactive exhibit, many interactive exhibits, and simulators that offer a hands-on experience for visitors there. You can try your hand at flying a fighter jet or experience a virtual reality tour of an aircraft carrier. Yeah, and you had stopped at one of these interactive simulations where you plotted the course of enemy fighters during the Battle of Britain. Yes, 
you conquered the game and saved the world. Yes, I did. And it was a good thing that uh, <laughs> if this was the real deal, that I wasn't in charge of this because I kind of bombed out at this simulation. Yeah, you, you, were, you were struggling. You were struggling. Yes. But good job there, Julie. Thank you. Yes. One of the rooms which highlighted the history of World War I noted there were just 2,073 individuals in the Royal Flying Corps and Royal Navy Air Force Service at the start of the war and over 313,000 at the end of the war, including the Women's Royal Air Force. And sadly, there were about 9,300 individuals that perished in their Royal Air Service during World War I. So it grew exponentially because of need. And it's always extremely fascinating to, for me to walk through these types of exhibits and think in terms of this was a, a place where wasn't much unlike us, you know, and, and how mm. things can happen so quickly and so yeah. fast yeah. and puts you just in another place that maybe you don't want to be in, but... After that, we moved to the World War II history where historical footage and photos helped to share the circumstances that were part of that incredibly immense battle, which is what your father was involved in. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting to me is I remember then as a kid, my dad would share stories and recollections of some of the, the planes that would have been at the RAF location that he was stationed at. That was wasn't, Halton. yeah, RAF yeah. Halton. And he would talk about spitfires and hurricanes. And so to be able to see up close and in person many of those planes that he talked about was interesting. And I remember, like, as a kid, there would occasionally be some war movie on TV. And as soon as the plane was on the TV, he would automatically know, okay, that's this one and that's that one. And even as a kid, kind of amazed me that he was able to identify the different kind of aircraft. Because during World War II, they had man manufactured between the countries so many different types. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was uh, an aficionado of the aircraft. And we're talking around several allies, allied countries. Yeah. So another thing we saw was a shipping container that they converted into a chapel during the Falkland Islands conflict in one area. We stepped inside to experience this makeshift chapel, which was very tiny, very small. I can't imagine it was very few people that could have actually entered into this yeah. container. So there was a lot to see inside. There was buildings and buildings, several of airplanes, all types, including what you mentioned, the hurricanes and the spitfires. There were bombs. There was overview of people who served in the Royal Air Force. There were jeeps, other types of vehicles. There were rescue craft and information about intelligence and technological advances that helped the military win its missions, which is very interesting to look back at, to see what it was that helped them defeat the other side. If you get hungry, there's also a cafe on the grounds and of course, there is the gift shop. It's a good little place to go to. I, I really enjoyed it. The walk wasn't too bad. I, re I remember it very well because it seemed like it was longer than I thought it was going to be. But suddenly we were at the museum. Mm -hmm. And and there was some kind of ceremony going on too. I think we just caught the, the last part of it. Yeah, tail end. Yeah, so that was kind of cool too. 
You had mentioned a few virtual experiences that are available at the museum. Some of these do require an additional ticket. An example of that would be that you can soar over the clouds as part of the Red Arrow's aerobatic display team in their 4D theater. We didn't have a chance to do those extra add-ons, but there are a few available. And I remember after we spent a few hours at the museum, we uh, spent a little bit of time on the grounds just reflecting on what we had seen. And we also had a few observations about the museum, what we thought worked well, what we thought could have been a little bit different? One of those was I was seeking out information on the Polish contribution to RAF, especially in the Battle of Britain. The foreign contributors weren't highlighted as much as I would have expected them to be. Also, it would have been nice to see more behind-the-scenes stories, meaning radar, intelligence, ground crews. There were some, but it would have been nice to see more. We had seen more types of those stories at other museums. Yeah. And as you'd kind of expect, I suppose, it was very, very heavy on the aircraft. I mean, if you want to get a sense of what aircraft history was, how it developed from the very first aircraft to those in World War One, through World War Two, through modern aircraft... There are so many, so very, very many displays at this museum. And if if you love airplanes, you're going to get your fill because there's building after building after building. One of the things that that I thought would would have been a nice add-on, and maybe they do this from time to time, I don't know, but I think about all of the movies that have been made over time, specifically about World War II, thinking would have been interesting on the grounds to have a theater where you could view the planes in the museum and then afterwards sit in a theater for a couple hours to watch one of the movies that featured these aircraft. I mean, I would have enjoyed something like that if you mm-hmm. had like a day to kill. If you had time, yeah. yeah. The RAF Museum has a rich history that dates back to 1918, when the Royal Air Force officially formed as an independent branch of the British military. The museum was established in 1972 and has since undergone several expansions and renovations, which we were there and there was currently a renovation going on. Mm -hmm. These renovations include adding a second location in Cosford, England. Through its extensive collection of aircrafts and artifacts, the RAF Museum is a tribute to bravery and innovation of those who have served in the Royal Air Force. You know, it always amazes me when we go to museums like this, and especially this one, how many aircraft variations were developed and built in such a short period of time. You think about World War II, that lasted for however many years it did, and I'm just an incredible amount of different types of airplanes that were conceived of, developed, built, manufactured, I think that engineering and innovation standpoint always fascinates me. You get a really good sense of mankind's ability to innovate at this museum. It's a fantastic showcase of Air Force history, spanning the decades from the earliest planes through modern technology. And I would say it's a must visit for anyone interested in aviation history and or military operations. And wonderfully, the museum admission is free. That is wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? You do need to pre-book a reservation. It's highly, highly recommended. When we showed up, 
there started to be quite a line of people showing up right after us. Yeah. So I would highly recommend to get a reservation. And to fully explore the museum, I would plan for at least three to four hours for your visit. We spent a good half a day yeah. at this museum. Yep. So that's museum number one. And actually the only museum we're going to cover on this episode, we have a few more but we're going to dive into those on some upcoming episodes. But we do have one more site where we did see some military-related monuments. Those monuments are located in Hyde Park Corner. There are monuments scattered all throughout London. A lot of military history is also scattered throughout London. And it's so vast, it, it would take you... Days and days and days and days and days to uncover all of them. You'll bump into a few monuments at Hyde Park Corner, though, and you will see the Royal Artillery Memorial, the Machine Gun Corps Memorial, also known as Boy David Memorial, and the Australian War Memorial. There's also something called the Wellington Arch, topped with Captain Adrian Jones' bronze statue of peace descending on the quadriga of war. And a fun fact, until 1960, London's smallest police station actually operated inside this arch. I don't know where in the arch they would have been kept, but yeah, that is kind of interesting. They said it was the smallest police station. The Royal Artillery Memorial is a listed grade two monument. And in 1949, the addition of three bronze panels commemorated 30,000 men of the Royal Artillery killed in World War II. And before we leave the topic of military history in England, not that far from London, I think it's maybe a couple of hours train ride. We had, on a prior visit, gone to what's called the Trenchard Museum in Halton at the RAF Halton site. That's another place that does a really nice job of highlighting what life was like for apprentices, for the ground crews, the maintenance crews that served at that particular facility. We do have a separate podcast that we recorded some time ago on that. So if you're interested in military history, you can go back in our archives and check that out also. Mm -hmm. And that is on an active military base. So there are some procedural things you need to go through in order to visit that museum. Yeah, that one's a little more complicated and has more protocol. Mm -hmm. All right, let's shift our gears now. As we usually do, we usually review the hotels that we stay at. And this one was quite nice. So why don't you tell us about this Star Hotel that you booked for us? Yeah, so we mentioned the Star Hotel, I think, on our last episode. And knowing we were going to be in London for just under a week, we wanted to find a place that had a nice balance between easy access to the tube while being in a decent neighborhood and also being somewhat affordable. And that combination of criteria led us to the Star Hotel. Now, I started the hotel search roughly about four months before our trip, but for whatever reason, we didn't get around to booking the hotel And I know what the reason was now. Um, So we didn't book the hotel until it was just two months before we left. And I believe the reason for that is we had some family health issues back at home Mm -hmm. that we were kind of waiting to see how things were going to pan out. So we were doing a little bit of a wait and see. I think, you know, pretty much knowing that we were going to go, but there was a little bit of hesitation. So unfortunately, one of the 
results of that is, you know, the longer you wait to book a hotel, as it gets closer to your travel time, the more limited your options can be. And that's what I experienced because I remember when I first looked, there were quite a few hotels to choose from that met those criteria, you know, nice neighborhood, somewhat affordable. And two months out, the amount of hotels to pick from dwindled dramatically. Luckily, the Star Hotel was available from Hammersmith Station. It's just a short walk on Shepherd's Bush Road, about uh, nine minutes from Hammersmith Station, which was easy enough to do. We made that walk every day. The hotel offers easy access to central London and its attractions, and I thought we found it a perfect base from which to explore the city. Yeah, and it was a very nice, it was a small hotel. It was a converted from a former home or something, and the staff was absolutely wonderful. So we enjoyed our stay there. Even though the room was small, we really didn't need much because we had planned on pretty much just sleeping there and going out and exploring London throughout the day. So we found the bed was very comfortable. There was a flat screen TV that we never used. There was a coffee and tea maker in the room that we never used. There was a window that opened during our stay there. And thank goodness for that window. We did find it useful in just cooling down the room because if you did turn the air con on, it was an extra charge. So we decided the window was sufficient and it worked out well for us. Mm-hmm. It took me a little time to figure out how this window operated because it just was funky. It was yeah. just a funky window. It almost seems like every time that we travel to different countries, some basic things like that, like w- opening windows, there's always like a little somewhat different design from one country to another. Yeah. 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 And there was no screen, which in America we usually have screens. I don't think common in Europe to have a screen. So I worried about bugs, but it seemed to be fine. And we did have a rooftop that was just underneath our second story window. And I thought, boy, I hope a cat doesn't come in or something like that. But, you know, I'm always overthinking things anyway. But it was very nice and it worked out really well. Yeah, I mean, I could see staying there again. So pleased with the hotel. Yeah. Now, I did mention it was affordable. And under normal circumstances, the way we normally pay for hotel rooms, it would have been under that category of affordable for sure. Our stay, however, (sighs) turned out to be completely free. Paid for. How did that happen, you might ask? Well, let me tell you. (laughs) Not that long before we set out on this trip, I had heard for for years, you know, people people who travel talking about specific credit cards that are designed to be beneficial for, for traveling. And we had not had such a card until recently. I think it was maybe four months or so before this trip, we ended up getting the Chase Sapphire preferred credit card. And the way that works is if you accrue so much spending on the card in the first, it's either the three months or, the, or four months, you get a bonus, I think it's like 80,000 points. So whatever that, that spending limit is, that's like what we normally do in a regular month or a few months anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was no big deal because we, these days throw so many things onto the credit card. And before our trip, we had qualified for the bonus, plus had some more points on top of that. And all of that combined was enough to pay for five nights in London, 
for hotel. So mm-hmm. bonus for us is we didn't have to pay out of pocket anything additional for this hotel. And if that's of interest to you, and if you don't have such a card, we will leave a link with information about it in the podcast notes. So take a look at that. Highly recommend it. I've been really impressed with the way the card accumulates points from travel that can be then used for travel in a beneficial way. So I'm glad we've made that change. One of the things that we've also talked about several times in the recent podcast is we've mentioned a newsletter that we publish every Monday where we curate travel news that spans information from the United States, from our national parks, and even some global news. And just to give you an example of some of the information that you'll learn in the weekly newsletter, we usually also highlight a travel tip and in the newsletter that we just released the morning that we're um, recording this podcast, we highlighted a new survey by Expedia that discussed travel, and it noted that Americans find air travel stressful, so much so to the point that travel is noted as a top stressor for 55% of respondents, with some saying that booking a flight and going to the airport makes them more anxious than filing their taxes or even going to the dentist. And I can't believe that there's <laughs> anything more stressful than going to the dentist. It's only that, if you have a phobia of the dentist. Honey. That's Some of the, us don't. That's on the top of my list. I, I, <laughs> we all have different things that cause us stress. But in addition, on that survey, it also came out with a number of top tips for getting the best deals on travel. So we're going to pass that along to you. And also encourage you to sign up for our newsletter through our website, which is theplaceswherewego.com. We'll also have a link in the show notes to make it okay. easy. Yep. So the first one, the best day to book your flight. Booking on Sundays can save you around 6% on domestic flights and 13% on international flights compared to booking on a Friday. How far in advance to book a flight? The best deals are typically available one month before departure for domestic flights. And for international flights, it's typically 60 days before takeoff. What is the best day to fly? Midweek flights are often the least expensive and less crowded. And using a few tips like that in the course of travel, especially international travel, could end up saving you hundreds of dollars if you time things out correctly and the good news is to subscribe to our newsletter, it's 100% free. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. Yeah. You just have to subscribe. Uh-huh. So we're happy to bring you travel news, travel tips every week. And um, if you haven't subscribed already, we'd encourage you to check it out and um, give that a look. And we also want to give a shout out to Larry from Orlando, Florida, who recently wrote to us. Larry says, ever since I stumbled upon your podcast, I've been so captivated I've started to listen from the beginning. You guys are so informative about where you go and the things you experience and the details of everything you do wherever you go. I'm learning so much. Just had to reach out and say I'm a big fan of you and what you two do. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you, Larry. You don't even realize how appreciative we are of your comment. Yeah. That's not the end. We have much, much more to tell you about. We have a few more museums coming up in Mm -hmm. upcoming episodes and some amazing churches. 
So tune in on next episode and we'll bring those to you. And until then, we really appreciate that you have joined us and thank you for your time spent with us. And we hope to see you very soon at the places where we go. If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube, where our channel name is The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.